It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Thunder fans? I am Brady Trantham, your new host of the Locked On Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which, you know, in my opinion, by far top three networks that I've ever been a part of or been a fan of. No particular order. You've got Locked On, you've got the Franchise Podcast Network, and Cartoon Network. You can't lose with any of those three. And so over the next 30 minutes or so, I will be your man for all things Oklahoma City Thunder. And yes, I know you're all upset for that game on Wednesday. But really quick, before we dive into the Oklahoma City Thunder, let me dive into a few housekeeping notes real quick. First of all, thank you everybody for the great response when I put out the first episode that I did on Wednesday. Everybody's been very encouraging, excited for the podcast. I can't say how much that means to me. I'm very appreciative and thankful for all that. And it is Thanksgiving right now that I'm recording this particular episode for Friday as the Thunder take on the New Orleans Pelicans later Friday night in Oklahoma City. Uh, So I'll take this time to give a shout out to all you guys, say thank you to everybody, and I'm excited. And with that in mind, it is Thanksgiving week. I am also in the middle of a move uh, into a new apartment in Oklahoma City, as well as doing this new Locked on Thunder podcast. So please give me a little bit of wiggle room as I try and figure out, as I try and figure out a schedule for the week. I want to try and have cool segments Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, I've got some ideas. i got some ideas that I'm going to unashamedly either borrow or steal maybe from uh, Mr. John Hoover at the Locked On Sooners podcast because he's a smart guy. If you're going to steal something, steal it from the smart people, but uh, hopefully he doesn't get too mad at me. But I do want to try and have cool segments through the week that you guys can all look forward to. I just need a little bit, of, little bit more time to write it out, to uh, plan it out in my head. Uh, These first two or three episodes are just going to be kind of trial and error, seeing what works, see what doesn't work. I mean, even that first episode, I didn't even know that I didn't have an intro song or an outro. (laughs) So it was basically just the first two promos would play and then boom, I started talking. So uh, again, give me a a week or so at the most and uh, the the podcast will be much more streamlined. Uh, I've got this OKC82 
uh, every all the other radio duties I have. But you know what? You don't care about that. Everybody's got work. Everybody's got a job to do. And so all I'm saying is just be a little patient with me, and this will I will try and make this podcast as great as it can be. Boy, was that a hard game to watch, especially if you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. And from the get-go, the Portland Trailblazers just gave it to the Thunder. They wanted nothing to do with it. And at times, everybody, it really felt like the Thunder did not care. It really seemed like a handful of plays, handful of sequences where the effort was just lacking. It really looked like the team just was like, you know what? I want to just go have Thanksgiving dinner right now. And who can blame them? Thanksgiving is awesome. But 42 points in the first quarter. I mean, Portland shot 52% from the field. They could not miss. They hit their first 10 shots of the game. When they missed their first shot, it was a miss by Hassan Whiteside, who was also on fire. And as a former Miami Heat fan, it was a little silly and weird to see Hassan Whiteside actually play good basketball consistently. But on their first miss, Hassan Whiteside misses a layup. It is then rebounded by the Trailblazers, and they find Damian Lillard, of all people, all alone at the right elbow, who launches a three and, of course, sinks it. The Blazers just could not miss. The Thunder did little to stop them. And outside of a nice little second quarter, third early third quarter push, the Thunder got it down to as close as nine. But I never really felt like that the Thunder were going to be able to fight, scratch, and claw their way back into this one. They've been doing that all year, yes, but sometimes it's just not in the cards, and it certainly looked like it that night. Everybody was, of course, excited to see, and by everybody, I mean people who are still annoyed by Carmelo Anthony and all of his shenanigans, whether it be shooting alone in a gym, seeing Bleacher Report or whatever, saying, get this man a job. Portland finally signs him off the scrap heap. But to his credit, the game before, Carmelo Anthony did score 25 points, and it does look like he's been integrating well within Portland's system. Terry Stotts is a fantastic coach and will no doubt figure out some way to nullify as much as he can Carmelo Anthony's deficiencies, and there are a lot of those, and maximize his potential, maximize his talent within Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and that system. And it looked to work to perfection (laughs) the other night against Oklahoma City, and poor Terrence Ferguson. I really hope you prefer your meat, whether it be turkey, steak, well done, Because that's how Carmelo Anthony cooked Terrence Ferguson that particular evening. 9 of 11 shooting. Finished well against contact at the rim. Had his mid-range game going. Just looked like vintage Melo. But again, it wasn't just the Carmelo Anthony show. It was just the entire Portland Trailblazers show. For whatever reason, if you miss the game and you want an idea of how badly the Thunder's defense was, just simply go to NBA.com, click on the schedule tab, Go to the Thunder Blazers game from Wednesday night, click on the Shot Charts tab, change the topic to Shot Zone, and then look. The entire Trailblazers Shot Zone is green for the entire game, not just a quarter. It's it's incredible. The Blazers shot 52% from the floor, 47% from mid-range, and I want you guys to table that for later because that is something that I've been noticing over the last few weeks. The The Thunder couldn't do anything, right? The Blazers couldn't do anything wrong. And then you have a 136-119 victory, which surprisingly is not the Thunder's worst defeat, which surprisingly is not the Thunder's worst defeat of the season in terms of point differential. No, no, no. That reward goes to the Indiana Pacers. And this is where I want to bring back the mid-range jump, the mid-range jumping percentage. So Portland shot 47%. That's pretty dang good. This is 2019-20 NBA, I get it. Nobody cares about the mid-range. It's a dead shot. If you're going to shoot mid-range jumpers, Carmelo Anthony, then no one's going to like you. 
And to Oklahoma City's credit, through 17 games, they force the most shots in the NBA from 15 to 19 feet. They are funneling their opponents and forcing them to shoot a lot of undesirable shots. And that's exactly what you want to do. Billy Donovan has talked about that. He loves when his he loves when Thunder opponents shoot a lot of non-paint twos and the Thunder close out on the perimeter and play good defense against perimeter shooters. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing from a systematic standpoint, from a defensive standpoint. But sometimes it really doesn't matter that the mid-range shot is dead. Because if you just keep making them, then oh my goodness, it really doesn't matter. You better you better match on offense. So let's go back to the Indiana game. The Thunder lost on the road to the Pacers a few weeks ago by 26 points to the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers shot 49% from the field, but, but they shot 56% from mid-range. And if you can just recall that game, TJ McConnell, TJ Warren just mid-range the Thunder to death. And again, that's what the Thunder want their opponents to do. But if they're going to keep hitting their shots, it doesn't matter because the Thunder, while I've said on the first episode and while you are all very aware that this team is actually kind of talented, they're not super reliable in terms of being able to score big buckets in bunches. They're they're not a team that you could probably look at and say, well, they can match somebody getting hot. They have to rely on their defense. They have to rely on slowing the game down in the half court and running pretty well fundamental basketball. And more times than not, that's not going to happen because they are a 6-11 and basketball team. But yes, the Pacers shoot 56%. You go back to Portland right now, the other night, 52% from the floor, 47% from mid-range. That's not good either. And another game that I'll kind of throw under this category, and you, it might surprise you, but the San Antonio loss on the road a few weeks ago. I mean, yes, that, that was a game well into the fourth quarter. It was a game that the Thunder very well could have won. LaMarcus Aldridge could not miss, but he never misses against the Thunders. That's not really news. The Spurs shot 54% from the field, 48% from mid-range, and they shot a lot of mid-range shots. They were 25 of 52 from mid-range. So sometimes it just really doesn't matter. You, you can do everything to a T perfect. You can grade out well, I would assume, in film. But if guys are just going to hit shots over you, it really doesn't matter. Oh, and who ranks the highest in the NBA in terms of mid-range field goal attempts and mid-range field goal percentage? Why the San Antonio Spurs at number two and the Indiana Pacers at number one. Also, 14 of the 17 opponents that the Thunder have played this season lie in the top 14 in terms of mid-range attempts and mid-range percentage. Just a silly stat to keep in your head the next time you th- you're you thinking, hey, the Thunder are playing really good defense. They're, they're forcing their opponent into shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers. But if they start making them at a high clip, you better hope that Chris Paul, Shea Gillis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, or Dennis Schroeder are going to be scoring in the 30s because I don't know if the Thunder are going to win that game. And as we wrap a bow on the Portland game from Wednesday night... I really wouldn't be surprised if we look back on this game a few weeks from now and and point to it and say that's where Portland kind of figured it out. Yes, they were 6 and 12. They were kind of laugh out loud bad at times considering that they were in the Western Conference Finals a few months ago and they were 6 and 12 and they had to hit the panic button so hard that they probably jammed their finger by signing Carmelo Anthony. But since then, Melo has integrated himself well, like I said, in their offense. Their defense is kind of picked up here and there. They're going to get Nurkic back. The Blazers are going to figure it out. They're too talented to be this bad. They're going to be in the playoffs at some point, I believe. But again, I really wouldn't be surprised if this Thunder game is, is where they kind of came together as a, as a team and course-corrected themselves. 
When we get back, we will hear from Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Is the second-year player getting a little tired? The field goal attempts are dropping, the points per game are dropping, but that's probably to be expected, right? More after this. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So the Thunder have been gone all week for their West Coast trip, but the last time that they were here, we were able to talk to Shea Gildas-Alexander. Something that I've been noticing on Twitter Uh, fans pointing out his lack of aggression, his lack of production, really, over the last seven games. And it kind of makes sense. The first 10 games, Shea Gildas-Alexander looked like a budding superstar. Everything that we've been told about him, everything that we've known about him, if you paid attention to him when he was with the Clippers, especially as the uh, regular season started to end and that postseason series against Golden State, Shea looks like a budding superstar. But the first 10 games this year, he was averaging 48% from the field, 40% from three on four attempts per game, six rebounds, three assists, 21 points per game. Excellent. Great, especially when you've got Danilo Gallinari who can drop 20 points a game, Dennis Schroeder who's good for about 18, 19 points, and then Chris Paul's always a wild card in terms of his scoring. That's the recipe for a pretty solid little pesky little team. The last seven games, though, 41% from the field, 35% from three on three attempts per game, barely three attempts per game, I should say, four rebounds, three assists, those are okay, 15.6 points per game. To me, it's just... It's just something to be expected. I'm not too worried about it. This is going to happen frequently this season, and especially if Chris Paul or Danilo Gallinari or maybe even Dennis Schroeder or somebody else is traded away from this team, it's going to be even more of a roller coaster season for Shea Gilds Alexander because, yes, he's a second-year player, and something I might say on this episode or episodes in the future, so it's kind of my little buzzword, so apologies if it annoys you, Shea Gildas-Alexander, in my opinion, this is his extended rookie season. I would say the same th- same thing on the OKC82 podcast last year concerning Terrence Ferguson. Terrence Ferguson obviously was a rookie two years ago. Last year, wasn't a rookie, but it was the first time that he really played big minutes consistently and he was a starter. So a lot of his responsibilities were new. A lot of the defensive matchups he had against particular players were new. He was a rookie, and he was green in a lot of areas, and he had to learn on the fly, on the floor. He had to learn how to get away with contact. He had to learn the savvy moves of a Clay Thompson. He had to learn the savvy moves of a Bradley Beal. Those are things you don't really get to see in film that much. You have to do it in practice. You have to do it in the game. And for Shea Gildas-Alexander, you can look at it on both ends of the floor, defensively and offensively. Offensively, teams are now starting to key on him. They know that he's one of the top options in the Thunder's offense. With the Clippers, he was the third, fourth, and sometimes even the fifth option. 
defenses weren't out there to stop him, but if you're playing the Thunder, you know if you're going to give yourself a chance to win against a pesky team, one thing that you can try and do is take away opportunities from Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And over the last seven games, it really seems like that. The aggression hasn't necessarily been there. His shots have been coming inconsistently. He, he, has, he basically just hasn't had that many quarters where he's just getting up a lot of shots, putting himself in position. His guys aren't necessarily finding him. His scoring and his shooting have been really sporadic through these games. And you can also attribute that as well. That kind of goes into his extended role from the Clippers now to the Thunder. And just basically, he's playing more minutes. And that was one of the things that we were able to talk about with him last Sunday uh, during the practice availability before the Thunder went on to the West Coast to go take on the Warriors. So let's hear from Shea Gildas-Alexander on basically how he feels with his extended role and extended minutes this season. In terms of minutes, what's the biggest adjustment been for with that? Um, trying to just trying to manage those minutes. Um, really, it's just been more fun playing more basketball. Um, I try not to look at it um, as more minutes. It just feels like I'm I'm playing basketball and doing what I love. What's the trick to not being exhausted by the end of the game? Um, I'm definitely exhausted by the end of the <laughs> game. Uh, there's no trick. Um, every time I step out there, I just try to give it my all. Shout out to Maddie Lee from the Oklahoman with those questions. I mean, might as well just call this the Locked on Thunder podcast with Brady Trantham and Maddie Lee. That's the second time I've played one of her questions on this podcast. Probably need to get her on here and get her thoughts on this here Thunder team. Might be a good idea for a later podcast. But yeah, these are these are growing pains. These are things that you should expect to see out of Shea Gildas Alexander. He's going to have some great moments. He's going to have he's going to have some great sequences. He's going to have some great weeks, months, and then he's going to have Eh, some average outpits. He's going to look tired. He's going to be inconsistent. He's not going to be very aggressive. But even still, like in some of those games, and I'll look at the Golden State game, he was inconsistent that entire game offensively, but he made big plays down the stretch to put the Thunder in position to win, and he also and he also iced the game with free throws. And to me, that's just one little tiny example you can point to and just say, that's why he could potentially be a very special player. Because special players, even when they're having bad games, still seem to find themselves making big-time plays in big-time moments and big-time crunch environments, especially on the road. And yes, I know Golden State's trash. And yes, I know Shea Gildas-Alexander, who knows how good he can actually be. He could he could be an MVP. He can be just an all-star, which, hey, that's pretty damn good. He can be eh, a fringe all-star. We don't know. Maybe he's a maybe he's the Thunder's future number one. Maybe he's the Thunder's future number two guy, and whoever that is is going to become via trade or in a dra- in a future draft pick. Shea Gildas Alexander is extremely talented. It's also an extended rookie season for him, where he's learning a lot of new things. He's taking on a lot more different responsibility. Defenses are throwing different things at him. He's now being asked to defend. Uh, better wing defenders more consistently than he was asked to with the Clippers. He's not accustomed to playing this many minutes. He's not accustomed to probably being in a lot of these close games, especially on the losing end, considering that the Clippers were a pretty good team last year, even though they were the eight seed in the Western Conference. That's still pretty darn good. A lot of new stuff for Shea Gildas-Alexander. If you're going to jump off the wagon right now, I would hesitate caution to that. He's going to be a pretty good player. I don't know how good he can be. I don't know how great he can be, but he's a player that I would just stress patience for. It's going to be fun. He's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Now, I've been reading a lot, especially getting ready for the New Orleans game, and it kind of brought up this stupid question that I always have. 
If you listen to an audiobook, can you actually say to people, to friends and family, that you read that book? Just please tweet me, at me at Brady Does Sports, and let me know. But a one way that you can actually go and listen to some good books, Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash LockedOnNBA. Listening on the go? If you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. So let's wrap things up with a quick little preview of the New Orleans Pelicans, a team that the Thunder have already beaten this year in Oklahoma City in exciting fashion. And who would have thunk it? Dennis Schroeder won that game, not by his scoring, but because he made a clutch defensive play. Dennis Schroeder for Defensive Player of the Year. There's your film to send into the league for that particular award. The Pelicans come into the game with the 27th best defensive rating in the league, 13th offensive rating with a net rating at 24. They're just not a very good team. No Zion Williamson, of course. Very unfortunate considering how how excited people were for this squad going into the beginning of the season. Hasn't really come to fruition yet because of injuries. At the same time, this is still basically the lottery Lakers featuring Drew Holiday. The Pelicans are coming off a loss to the Los Angeles Lakers who who were straight dominated for three quarters by the Pelicans. But 35 points surrendered in the fourth quarter by the Pelicans' defense saw a game that they could have very well won go to the Lakers in a 114-110 loss for New Orleans. Again, they have the 27th-ranked defensive rating in the league. 35-point quarters are probably going to happen. So for the Thunder, this is a really good opportunity for them to bounce back from that atrocious game, that atrocious film for everybody to see on Wednesday night. This is a good opportunity for them to bounce back in front of their home crowd, get some positive momentum going forward because they actually will be playing this team again in New Orleans on the road on Sunday. It's one of those weird, not quite a back-to-back. The Thunder did this three times last year. They played Dallas actually on a back-to-back, but one night was in Dallas. The following evening was in Oklahoma City. I believe that was on New Year's Eve. The Thunder lost the first game in Dallas. They won that next game in Oklahoma City. They did this type of back-to-back where they would play in one city one night, have a day off for travel, and then play the following evening against that same team. They did, they did that against San Antonio and Toronto, and the home team won each of those contests. For the Pelicans, it's going to look like probably another starting lineup of Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, Brandon Ingram, who actually is starting to look like the player that we all expected two or three years ago when he was still with the Lakers. Kenrich Williams and Jackson Hayes, the rookie out of Texas, who was actually born in Norman, Oklahoma, so shout out Norman, Oklahoma. Lonzo Ball missed the Lakers game due to an illness. He's listed as day-to-day. He actually didn't practice the day before, so it seems like it might be a serious illness. His status for Oklahoma, the, the Oklahoma City game is not known at this point. That could very well change as we get closer to tip-off. Derek Favors is listed as out for personal reasons. He missed the Lakers game as well and is also not expected to play against Oklahoma City. So again, more favorable matchups for the Thunder. This is a definitely a game that they should very well win. The Pelicans are a worse team than the Thunder. They're playing at home. This should be a no-brainer. The Thunder have to take care of business at home. And to wrap this podcast up in a pretty little bow, the Pelicans are the 28th worst team in the NBA in mid-range field goal percentage. Episode 2 is out of the way, everybody. Don't forget tonight, the Thunder take on the New Orleans Pelicans in Oklahoma City. I'm sure the peak will be rocking for a Friday night. These uh, 
These Friday night games have been kind of weird and fun because this is the third week in a row that the Thunder have had two road games during the week and then only one home game at home, and it happens to be on Friday. Friday night in Oklahoma City, you can't go wrong with that. But everybody, thank you so much for choosing Locked On Thunder, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, This, like I said, give me a few episodes, give me a few days, and this will be much more streamlined, much quicker. And I'm, again, I am so, so excited to be a part of the Locked On Podcast Network family. Excited to meet all you guys on Twitter, social media. Really appreciate it. But until next time, everybody, talk to you guys later. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.